Hello and welcome. You're listening to It's a Groom's Life with Carly O'Brien. Hello and welcome. You're listening to It's a Groom's Life with Carly O'Brien. Hello and welcome to a new episode of His Groom's Life and I have a very exciting guest on today. I can't believe she's decided to come on. I'm so excited. So I have Pippa Room who is editor of Horse and Hound. Hi Pippa, how are you? Hi Carly, I'm well thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh pleasure, I'm so excited. Um, so I've been a fan of your podcast for well since day one really um, and obviously of the magazine but because I'm um, out and about and mucking about having the podcast is a much easier to listen and read than the actual magazine itself um so Pippa would you mind introducing yourself a bit more tell us more about you and your job and what you do sure so I have been working for Horse and Hound since 2003 um I came to Horse and Hound on work experience straight out of university and I've never left. Um, so I was very lucky in the first couple of years of my career and being in the right place at the right time, a couple of times for people leaving the magazine and so on. So in 2005, a couple of years after I joined, I became eventing editor um, and I've managed to sort of hold on to that job. Um, so I'm still eventing editor and I spend probably about half my time on that half of my job as such. So I write, I commission other writers, I choose pictures, I proofread pages, um, I go out and report, I interview riders, um, all that sort of thing, working across both magazine and website and now podcast, as you say. Um, The other half of my job is that I am magazine editor of the magazine, um, of the brand, I should maybe say. So, Our team is structured so that at the top end, we have an editor-in-chief, Sarah Jenkins, who is my boss. And under her, there is Carol Phillips, who's our website editor, and me as magazine editor. And we sort of have those titles which do align to the platforms that we work on. But we also sort of split the work a little bit by topic as well. So I manage the sport team. So we have people like me on the eventing side, but who work in show jumping, who work in showing, who work in hunting, dressage. And I manage that team and their work across magazine and web. Sarah manages our features editor and that features side, as well as being in charge overall. And Carol manages our news team and their work across both magazine and web. Um, so yeah, so it works well. Um, it's a, I'm very lucky because Uh, I think for a lot of people in a lot of jobs not just journalism at all as they move up the career ladder they have to maybe give up the hands-on part of the job which is what they're good at and what they really enjoy doing and I've been very lucky to be able to hang on to the eventing editor part of my job as I've sort of had a couple of promotions and, and moved up so very lucky on that front. Yeah, it's so weird to listen to your voice because I've been so I've been listening to your voice every week for the last how many weeks that the podcast has been going and now that I can actually hear you on my podcast it seems really odd (laughs) (laughs) it is a strange one sometimes when I meet people when I'm out about with my horse because my picture is in the magazine on the top of sort of the eventing pages and sometimes on other things sometimes I'll meet people when I'm you know out and about riding not 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 working and uh, they'll be like I'm sure I know you and it depends (laughs) on the situation whether I admit who I am or not yeah so when you went to um 
university was it journalism that you studied or was it or writing or anything along those lines So I went to Exeter University. I started off doing a geography degree. I decided I didn't really love it after I'd started it, but I didn't really want to sort of add a year to my university career and and restart. So what I ended up doing was that there was something at Exeter called the modular degree where you could build modules from different courses and end up with basically joint honours, but you had chosen your own joint honours. So I switched across to do half my degree in English. So I ended up, I think my title, my degree title is English and Geographical Studies and um, so it's essentially a joint on is in English and Geography so a little bit on the writing side but not straight journalism. I did work on my university newspaper and I was editor of my school magazine so I got a little bit of experience sort of in those areas while I was in education. So it, it's definitely a pack or a um, skill that is obviously stayed with you then with the um, the uh, uh, like author or the writing skills that you have is obviously been a been within you throughout your sort of adult life I guess yes I think so but I wouldn't say that in some ways I'm primarily a writer I think you know I've been doing this a long time and I obviously I enjoy my writing and it's something that I that I do quite a lot of but I think I'm also my main skill is that I juggle a lot of balls and I get a lot done, um, to be honest. Um, I, I don't really believe those things that say, you know, you have to focus on one task at a time and not be distracted because I've always got about 45 windows open. And if someone yeah. sends me an email, I'll probably answer it immediately, even though I'm in the middle of writing a feature. Um, and then someone <laughs> will send me a chat message and I answer that. And then I think it's something that I should be chasing up for next week's cover. So I chase up that and then I go back and write my feature and then someone will send me another message. So I'm like, I'm all over the place in the way I work. But I don't think you'd know that from my output. I do achieve a lot. Yeah, but yeah I, I love my writing. Um, and I am a big believer in writing as a skill that you can improve at. Mm. Yes, writing is a talent. Um, and some people will always be more talented at it than others. Um, but it's also something you can learn. You can learn to be better at. I've seen writers, you know, in the horse and hound system be improved by feedback, by practice. Um, and I think you learn and develop as a writer as you grow up. And even now, you know, I'm 40 years old. Um, I've been writing professionally for 18 years. Um, and I still think that I am growing as a writer. I learned things about writing this summer at the Olympics while I was out there reporting under pressure. I've just mm. done a couple of interviews in the last couple of weeks, actually, that have been quite different, where I've ended up structuring them in a different way to anything I've written before. And that's interesting and exciting. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the Olympics there. And obviously, via your podcast, I felt like I was at the Olympics with you. Because um, you and your other reporter, that I forgot what her name was, that went out with you. Polly. You, yeah, you both um, uh, just described it so well that we were almost part of the journey with you. So even though we weren't all physically there, how you were doing all your reporting, all the stories, all the um, backstage stuff, it felt like we were part of it. And I just was, it, it just gave us um, just an insight of exactly how it is at the Olympics. Yeah, it was a really interesting three weeks. Um, Polly Bryan, he mentioned, was my reporter colleague out there and our photographer, Peter Nixon. Um, it's very different to any trip I've ever done before, obviously, with all the COVID requirements. It was mm. a very pressured trip in the lead up. And I don't think I realised until it was over how much pressure there was. Mm. Um, you know, there was a lot of money invested in it from a horse and hand end. And it was very clear that if 
one of us got COVID or had a positive test or whatever in the couple of weeks beforehand, we wouldn't be able to go and we wouldn't be able to change the accreditation. So that money would have been down the drain. <laughs> so we were very careful in the couple of weeks leading up to it. There was a huge amount of paperwork and we were just terrified that we would be turned away at some stage, not allowed into the country and all that money and work of effort would have gone down the drain and the requirements changed a lot. You know, we had we had to change our plans about a month out and leave three days earlier in order to do three days hotel quarantine on arrival. Mm. Um, anyway, we got there, we got through it and it was a great three weeks. The sport was brilliant. The Brits yeah. were incredible and that absolutely made it. It makes so much difference. Um, it was hard work, but it was fun. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know if you would agree, but I felt like the standard was the highest we've ever had um, as a British team throughout the whole disciplines. I felt like we were, um, it was probably, I mean, Rio, obviously, I felt like we'd done, obviously we did do very well in Rio, but I do feel like the standard was quite high this year. Yeah, obviously it was brilliant that we got medals across all three disciplines as, as a British team. Um, for me as eventing editor, it was very special to see that first British eventing Olympic team gold in such a long time. And I slightly felt the British eventers owed me that on a personal note. I went yeah. to Rio as my first Olympics and they came home without a medal for the first time in a long time. And yeah. I was gutted and felt quite cheated um, <laughs> going to my first Olympics and that happening. So uh, it was and there was a lot of pressure on that team you know on Laurel Collar Oliver Town and Tom McEwen everybody knew they were the favourites they left very strong horses at home on the subs bench and to be honest I felt relief about that result rather than joy I think the same as the riders it was just a relief to get it in the bag and they were so far ahead after cross country and that could have gone wrong so yeah delighted for the eventers the dressage was the first discipline and really exciting a young team of horses and obviously Lottie Fry making her Olympic debut alongside the experience of Carl Hester and Charlotte Dujardin, mm. they all, I think, outperformed expectations. And for Charlotte to get an individual medal as well was a really brilliant result. So that was yeah. a great way to start. Um, ben Mayer on the individual show jumping, superb performance with Explosion W. Again, a little bit of relief, I think. He is the best horse in the world. And to actually pull that off was very special. And that jump off round, I don't think is something, I don't think I'll ever see the likes of that again in my mm. lifetime. Mm. Um, Obviously a bit disappointing on the team side in the show jumping, but I'm not sure that was out of turn in terms of expectations. I think there's some team building to do there. The team management would agree um, with, you know, younger horses and riders. It was actually a brilliant finish. I have to say I loved team show jumping and the showdown that we came down to between Sweden and the USA, although it didn't involve the Brits, was a very exciting way to finish the games. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And like you say, with the Ben Murr round, I think um, and I think you mentioned it on the podcast that he did feel like there was pressure because he did have such he has such an amazing horse there. And it was, you know, labelled as the best horse in the world. And when you have that label, like you, you mentioned, he had that pressure to sort of almost meet expectations um and show that he is the best horse in the world and he, he just obviously didn't want to put a foot wrong which obviously he didn't but it did sort of have that extra pressure more than the other team members I imagine yeah definitely he is a he's an unusual horse in the way that he jumps because you know we all expect that kind of classic bascule in a really top horse and he doesn't really jump like that he jumps in a slightly almost broken back way where his front legs come up his his front comes up and his back comes up and I'm gesticulating Carly and you can see me and no one else can so that's ridiculous <laughs> but his front end comes up his back end comes up he dips down in the middle and he's about three foot above the fences so he has that really unusual technique which Ben mm-hmm. actually mentioned on our podcast when he was on um 
but it really works for him. And as you say, a lot of pressure to ride a horse like that. And it's one thing to start his favourite and be like, oh, he's the favourite. To actually pull yeah. it off is something else. Yeah, absolutely. It literally looked like he was flying around. It looked like he had a piece of like harness and he was just flying around the course instead of actually like jumping it. He just seems to just, the scope on it is amazing. Yeah, he is extraordinary. Um, I've been lucky enough to see him live a few times. I saw him jump at the Global Champions Tour show in New York, which uh, seems like a lifetime ago being allowed in America. doesn't feel yeah. like they are allowed again now. But yeah, before the COVID lockdown, um, that was probably one of the first times I saw him live, actually, although I'd seen him jump on television and so on quite a few times before then. Um, yeah, he's a very special horse. Absolutely. Um, and as you mentioned that earlier, obviously you've been with Horse and Hounds for a number of years now and obviously worked your way up the career ladder. Um, do you feel or have you seen through like your reporting and your relationships with, you know, um, riders and coaches, if the equestrian industry has changed since when you first started at the magazine to now? Um, and if so, ha- what, what changes have you seen? Yeah, definitely. So Carly was kind enough to give me a heads up on what questions she might ask me in advance, listeners. Although some we've gone slightly off track, but that's yeah. actually that always happens in my podcast too. Um, and this was the one that I actually had to do a little bit of a think about because it wasn't about me. Um, <laughs> I think there are two. I think there are two big things. Um, there'll be lots of things and it would depend you know if you've got you've asked our news editor or hunting editor you'll get a very different answer to this but my world my passion is the competition horse sport side and so on that front I think what we've seen is up and down the levels a massive increase in choices that riders have to make in terms of where and when and how they compete horses like I am old enough to remember the days of the genuine long format with roads and tracks and steeplechase I rode in and reported genuine long format competitions um and you know if you had a horse at the top level you took it to badminton you took it to Burley there were no other five stars there was Kentucky there was Adelaide but there were no other five stars sort of within easy reach in the way that we now have European five stars the CIC um as it was called before before we moved to calling that the short format um the one day international event in eventing was very much in its infancy I remember CICs being introduced and so you didn't have sort of the likes of of Barbary um, as a big target competition. There was no event rider masters and um, there was no Arkham. There was no eventing at Arkham until after the world championships there. So your path was maybe more straightforward as a top rider with a top horse, but it was more limiting in terms of what a top horse was because it had to be a badminton or burly horse to be at the top level. Um, so that sort of at the top end. And then if you look down the levels at the grassroots end, we have vastly more choices and opportunities in the grassroots sport in terms of a lot of championships you know the grassroots championships at badminton the different names that's been through but that that high profile championship the BATT championships have just been announced as going to Bramham so a high profile home for them which is lovely and I hope they're going to be fit because Bramham's very hilly um, <laughs> and 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 other competitions as well we have the novice masters now but i think we see that across the sports that's i'm talking about eventing because that's my passion mainly but yeah. you know like in dressage we have the quest championships we have championships for amateur riders in show jumping we have championships for different breeds of horse and then you look at the unaffiliated market and that gets bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. as well so we all have more and more choices which is great in a way it also means from a magazine point of view and a reporting point of view, we have to make more choices about what we report. And that's yeah. interesting. And um, so that's, I think, the big one on the competition side. The other big thing, I think, 
is about the world rather than the horse world and that's social media and the way we all interact with social media and the internet and you know we run stories now about bullying more and mental health and a lot of that links into social media and how people interact with social media and it's massively changed of course how we do our jobs and how we interact with riders um so I think that's a change in the world that's impacted the horse world rather than a change led in the horse world but it's mm. changed I mean as again I'm so old I'm old enough to remember joining Facebook so um <laughs> yeah. you know I didn't I didn't I didn't join Facebook until I was well in well into my horse and hound career yeah. I didn't have an email address when I was at school that's how old I am <laughs> uh, you know, so um yeah that's it's a big change isn't it yeah yeah no I'm I'm like it and to be fair when um Pippa said she was 40 I pulled a face which you guys couldn't see because she does not look 40 she looks very good for her age <laughs> I was thinking no she's not 40 she's not 40 um that's that's I've digressed a little bit there sorry but um but yeah I 100% agree because I am the same age as you Pippa and I'm like you with um with social media because when I was at college or even in probably my early 20s like Facebook had just launched and it was a really new thing no one really knew what it was and it was poking people and (laughs) things like that on your walls and stuff and social media especially I would say more so in the last five years it's it is everyone's life now like everyone has well I say everyone a huge majority of people will have a Facebook um, or an Instagram profile or both and but in a way, it's a great thing because it's built so much relationships amongst everyone in the equestrian world and everyone has more access to people. I mean, for myself, I wouldn't have been able to have um, an opportunity to contact you if it wasn't via social media or anything like that. Um, so for someone like me as a podcaster and um, a lover for um, the equestrian world, it's it's enabled me to build relationships with other people that we just wouldn't have been able to have access to. So do you find that, I mean, obviously, because you're, um, you work for the horse and hound, obviously, you have lots of contacts with the equestrian world. But do you find you've had more contacts with people that you wouldn't have necessarily um, thought about having on your magazine? Yes, I think so. I think there's opportunities and there's challenges with social media. Um, uh, as that a, was a very long-winded question platform. to ask you. I realised that, as I just said that, that was a very <laughs> long question. Sorry about that. No, no, no problem. I think it's um, there are opportunities and there are challenges with social media. You know, the opportunities are that you can find out an awful lot of things that are happening. You can find out reaction to things that are happening. We see a lot of stories on social media that wouldn't have come to us otherwise. The challenge is that it's very hard to get an exclusive because everything's on social media first you know if a top rider's horse dies previously they'd have called horse and hound and people would have found out about it as an exclusive in the magazine on thursday or maybe as an exclusive on our website um depending on it you know exactly what area you're in whereas now they'll put it on social media and the challenge for us then is how do you give people something different so that they feel that they're still getting value from the magazine um Mm on Thursday um how do you develop that story for the web so that the rider is maybe praying tribute in a way which is beyond what they've put on social media so that people still want to read about it um yeah it's a funny one isn't it I think um I mean I had a I had a genuine address book when I started out and I used to gather up people's numbers um and now pretty much anyone you want to contact you can find through social media as, as you said yourself Carly so definitely opportunities and definitely challenges as well yeah definitely and with your magazine like you say it comes out every week so how far in advance with your editions are you or do you just 
deal with each week as it comes? So it's very much, we, we try to be pulled ahead on the stuff that we can be pulled ahead with. So in terms of big picture, we have a list of our 2022 issues and we know what our specials will be in those issues. Those those are conversations we're having at the moment. It's the middle of November about next year and the first few months of specials certainly are pinned down. But in the summer, there are places where we're still moving things around. We're counting how many pages we're likely to have. We're juggling where we've got big events and that juggling has been extreme the last couple of years as events have cancelled and moved. So we have an overall plan, but it is fluid. With features, we try to work quite well ahead. So we try to have copy coming in maybe a month before it's going to be published to give us time to, you know, do the editing work and get the layouts how we want them and, you know, improve the quality where we need to um, and, you know, polish and and just to be doing that work without being stretched. Um, we are quite a lean team. Um, so with features we try to work well ahead and we certainly I've been having conversations in the last couple of weeks um with our sport horse editor for example Polly about the features we'll run in the sport horse specials next spring in March um and those features will be being commissioned at the moment I've got a train booked in January to go and visit someone for a sport horse feature that will come out in March so we are planning quite well ahead with that sort of thing um then it comes to reports and it's a little bit different. Obviously, we go to press on a Monday and we come out on Thursday. And so any report that goes in the magazine on Thursday goes to press that Monday that's come out that, that happened on that previous weekend. So those yeah. pages are turned around within a day. We have some reports that we hold over, as we call it. So they run in sort of a week later. They tend to be things like the roundup highlights pages, which are maybe achieved by a, a reporter phoning around winners from several shows rather than attending one show. And that just wouldn't be feasible to get done all on a Monday. So those yeah. reports maybe run a week later. And um, in terms of planning for reports, this has changed a little over the years, depending on how we're managing our paging. But um, I would have a good idea at the beginning of the year of what eventing competitions we're going to be covering. And I would be commissioning reporters sort of a couple of months in advance of that for the smaller ones. And I would probably know at the beginning of the year who's going to report Badminton Burley in the championships. Mm. Um, and then, of course, there's our website planning. And that's another whole another whole world as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So obviously with COVID last year, that obviously turned everything well everything the whole world upside down and obviously that would have affected the magazine with i.e like the eventing um the olympics which was supposed to be last year and it obviously moved to this year so how did you guys sort of manage that especially during like the first lockdown with you know because obviously no one was going out (laughs) there wasn't i imagine it was quite hard for you to produce a magazine when no one was doing anything (laughs) Yeah, it was a racy couple of weeks, I have to say, when it first kicked in. Um, We were lucky with timing, to be honest, because the first COVID lockdown started sort of, what, the beginning, middle of March, early March. And we were still just about in that winter phase where our issues are feature rather than report led. So although we have reports, our covers are dominated by features Mm. and our sort of specials are feature dominated rather than report dominated. So we had sort of a month in which our report paging dropped the size of the actual issues dropped so we've had fewer pages and we were managing to we had some reports still from abroad we were able to bring in some stock features that we always have hanging around in case of emergencies (laughs) and sort of scrabble through those first couple of weeks and, and fill the pages and then we were able to sort of take a moment and go okay let's look at the product we have what's it going to look like and slightly rethink the whole product and and how we 
and, and we brought in some new franchises. So within a sort of couple of days, we dreamt up some new series. So the Legends series, which has proved incredibly popular, came out of a, a brief moment in that in that in that period where I was talking to Sarah and she said it'd be great to have a long read that goes to the back of the book. And I was like, Legends! And it was literally <laughs> that moment and sort of 10 minutes after that conversation I'd written a, a brief for our art department to do a mock-up of a, of a six-page legends feature and uh, within a couple of weeks we had legends and and they have proved incredibly popular people love them they've generated some wonderful covers a lot of letters we get about them and we've done people and now we're doing horses so that's been a real positive we we felt like we were missing sport and the series that we now call in the spotlight but which was originally called we can't wait to see came out of that so mm. um just thinking about top horses that we couldn't wait to see again. So started calling riders and, and using those and using it as an opportunity to use a big action picture, which we weren't seeing in reports. Um, so we sort of looked at the structure of the whole magazine and how we could work it. And then I think as sports started coming back, we tried to blend the best of the old product and the best of the new. So we kept Legends, we kept Spotlight. Um, we don't necessarily have those every week, but we still have them sometimes. We slightly trimmed back our reports paging and tried to focus on things that were of interest to a lot of people without losing sport paging and without losing our biggest reports. And that's very much Horse and Hounds USP as a yeah. sort of news driven magazine. But yeah. we tried to to keep paging. Pages don't. I mean, they do grow on trees, but they don't grow on trees. So um, we, if, if you're going to if you're going to add something, you have to take something away. So we tried to bring together the best of the old and the new to create the sort of product we have now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And with that, um, was the podcast, I believe the podcast launched during lockdown or had you thought about it way before and then it became a lockdown project because obviously you probably have a bit more time. Um, so can you tell us about how the the uh, journey from how the podcast sort of an idea to launch and, and more about what you do on the podcast if people haven't heard it? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast was something that had been in the back of our minds for a very long time because it felt like a media a platform that we'd like to be involved with. And we talked about it on and off. We had a back in the days when we all used to go to the office, we had a brainstorming session where we talked about what the content might look like every week. I had done quite a lot of research on what equestrian podcasts were already out there and what was getting traction. We had started to form a relationship, a relationship with Tom Evans at Media Cage, who is our podcast producer. And he actually came into the office at the beginning of 2020 and um, before lockdown and um, sort of auditioned me and a number of other members of the team to sort of take the host role. Um, so we all put on a big pair of headphones and, and that was fun. Um, and then we went into lockdown and for a couple of weeks, we were just scrabbling around, like I was saying, filling the magazine, reinventing our entire product. And we were busy. God, we were so busy, Carly, in those first couple of weeks. It was crazy. We were trying to reinvent the entire magazine. And also the news cycle was so hot. Like events were being cancelled, cancelled, cancelled. Yeah. And like we were tied into a national news cycle as well. We were waiting for Boris to give a press conference at five o'clock on a Monday night to know what we were going to put, you know, in our news pages for that Thursday. Yeah. So we were super busy in those first few weeks. And then as things started to slightly calm down, I mean, thank God that one couldn't leave the house and go to the theatre or go and have drinks because there was so much work to do. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, we also, we have parents on our team. We had people who were dealing with homeschooling, all that sort of yeah. thing, and all trying to cover for each other and help each other out on that front. Um, yeah. And then when things started to slightly calm down and we all sort of started moving towards the new normal, which is such a cliche. Um, <laughs> Sarah, my boss said, I really want this podcast to happen now. People are hungry for content. They really want it. So we talked to Tom and about what we could do and how we could achieve it remotely because we had initially thought we would record a lot all sitting in the office looking at each other um mm. 
and what elements of the content that we had talked about in that brainstorm we wanted. And Sarah sort of said, you sort it out, go away, make it happen. So I did. Um, so the format that we have, which is pretty much unchanged, we had the odd special, but in general, our weekly format is unchanged. Um, we have an interview every week. So they circulate between generally eventing, show jumping, dressage and showing, which are four big sports with the odd sort of racing one maybe thrown in. We've recently had Dan Skelton, for example, the national hunt trainer on. Um, so that comes first. It's maybe 15, 20 minutes. Some of them are timely. So we might speak to someone who's just done well to big competition. Some of them are more of a feature feel. Um, and some of them maybe base it around an anniversary, for example, like we did quite a lot of that when there was no sport. So, for example, I spoke to Piggy March about her badminton win to coincide with what should have been badminton. Um, but it didn't happen. And yeah. um, we then have a news segment and that's quite a fluid segment where we often look at some stories in the magazine that sit at the front in in our news section. And I talk to our news team about those stories and what they've been working on this week. Um, we also often bring sport into that when there have been big competitions. So if our reporters have been out and about, I'll drag one of them in and have a chat with them about that big competition they've reported. So it's sort of news and sport. Um, and the final section is a device. So it started out with a vet, um, Ricky Farr from Farr and Percy Equine. We've brought in different experts. So we've had Charlie Unwin, who's a mental coach. Um, we have had Jason Webb, who's a, oh, I, I, hesitate, I hesitate to say a horsemanship trainer because sometimes that work can be quite loaded, but he's a trainer who's very well respected for working with young and problem yeah. horses. Um, we have had Katie Bleakman, who's a fitness trainer. Um, so lots that we've had Alan Davies, um, Charlotte Dujardin, Carl Hester's groom on with grooming tips. So lots of different experts and they tend to run a sort of mini series. So we'll run the same expert for sort of six weeks. Um, and the whole thing is about between 40 minutes and an hour long, depending on the week. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I love all I love every part of your podcast because it, it it does feel like a bit of a, like a um a mini condensed version of your magazine or like a highlighted version of maybe of your magazine. Um, and there is so many like news stories that you do pop on there and you and the um, other reporters, you pop on there. And I've like, I would, and sometimes I sit there and go, really has that happened or because I don't know, sometimes we get so oblivious or we sort of get so caught up in our little mini wells. And sometimes uh, you've, um, uh, you've put on on your new segment about um obviously you talked about brexit a lot when we were in the middle of brexit and how that was going to affect the equestrian world and and going in and out of europe and things like that and that was really interesting because it got so complicated and i think at some points people were like i don't really know what the rules are and you guys just simplified it so much um and then yeah the mini series i've really really enjoyed as well and um you pick up little tips from them and like the the mindset one was really good and jason webb he's from my neck of the woods so i kind of know who jason webb is and yeah, I really enjoy it. I, I, it's like I say, it's one of my highlights of the week. When it comes out on a Friday, that's it. It's straight on on the car. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, I'm glad you. En- I'm glad you enjoy it. It's a really interesting medium, and I expect you find this, Carly, because it feels quite personal because people are hearing your voice as you said earlier so you do maybe get people getting in touch and giving you feedback about it more than you do with writing sometimes so it's a bit of a strange one from that point of view but um no I do really enjoy it it's really interesting and then we've had some specials as well um we have an advertising series with champion who uh, which comes out every couple of months and that's had some great content um mm. particularly enjoyed it when we spoke to Khadija Mella um the lady who won a race riding in a hijab um 
we've got a podcast coming up I hope I'm allowed to say this with them about the Windrush Foundation um, involving Pippa Funnel and um, so that's led to some it's an advertising series and it's led to some really great content we had our daily podcast during the Olympics that you mentioned yeah. earlier We've got some really fun specials coming up this Christmas, actually. Um, we had a quiz last year. The quiz is back, slightly changed yeah. format. Um, and we've got a couple of other specials. Um, before the Olympics, we did an Olympic preview special that was yeah. all of our section editors talking about our hopes and expectations. So, yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah, definitely. And so what is the future for Horse and Hound? Obviously, it's still going to carry on being every equestrian's bible every friday and obviously the podcast and everything but is there anything um you want to maybe highlight any changes that might happen or anything like that yeah so the um one big change that we've made this year is around our paywall on the website so the sort of horse and hound digital subscription um we have had a paywall for quite a long time but it used to be that you paid for some content and some content was free we decided to move that to a metered paywall this summer it just felt fairer and more straightforward so we sort of say we make great content if you want a little of it you can have it free if you want a lot of it you have to pay um and that's it's a more simple way of thinking about it and it just feels fairer um, and it's it's led to quite a lot of changes in the way that we report and the content that we put out when we're at events and we had a really exciting new thing that we trialed at the Olympics <laughs> trialed it at the Olympics we kind of had to try it at the Olympics because there weren't any events before then but it did work <laughs> luckily um, where when we're at events now we often have a reporter sitting at home watching if there's live streaming but the reporter who's on the ground at the event will be sending sound files back to them so that they can write stories with quotes from riders as the event is happening which you can't do if you're obviously at the event talking to the riders mm. so we can get out a huge volume of, of, of reports I keep saying content and that's such a ridiculous word isn't it Carly I can't believe I've become a person who talks about content um but it is, <laughs> it is a buzzword now we're all stuck with it um but it means we can get out a lot of reports um that's exciting and fun and I think it'd be really interesting to see how things develop with our paywall and I think it's very much the way that media is going in general and I think the thing that people maybe don't appreciate about it is it's how cheap it is in some cases if you are and there is no hard and fast rule because people have a lot of different subscription deals depending on where they joined but in some cases if you're a print subscriber and you ring up and say you want to upgrade to digital it's actually cheaper to upgrade and also have digital and if it's not cheaper it will be sort of a nominal fee if you're a magazine subscriber so it's not a lot of money for an awful lot of content and I think we really need to get across how much there is in our website that's different we're not just putting the magazine content online and charging you twice for it we do a huge volume of stuff on our website which doesn't go in the magazine and yeah. um, you know if we're away reporting from an event we're probably producing 40 50 70 news stories in a week that go on the website and even the biggest reports in the magazine might be 15 or 20 pages yeah. so there's a lot more there that you can get for really a very small amount of money yeah yeah definitely um can you tell us how much that is at the minute if people are subscribed already that is a good question and a challenging one because I don't know exactly because as I say there are different deals but I'm gonna I'm gonna find that for you while we're talking (laughs) again I've put Pip on the spot there I should have I should have pre-asked her then she would have felt more no it's a good question that I should know the answer to so I'm gonna (laughs) find out the answer right now for you Oh, thank you. Just in case people are interested and they're listening and then after they've listened to the podcast, they can go straight onto it. Here we go. She's on there. She's looking. 
I'm looking. <laughs> so if you, the cheapest way is always with these things is to join for a year. Um, so if you join the Horse and Hound Digital for a year, you don't want the magazine, you just want the digital subscription. It's a pound a week if you join for a year. So it's 52 pounds for the whole year. If you pay monthly or quarterly, it's a little more. Um, and as I say, if you are a magazine subscriber as well, the bundles are very good value. So you won't be being charged an extra pound a week um, yeah. if you're if you're also a magazine subscriber. So that's the best way, I think, is to go for an annual subscription and uh, a pound a week. OK, well, that is cheap. Why aren't more people doing that? Come on, everyone. £52. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, and again, I didn't ask you this, but um, who, when you were um, like... Um, younger like a little girl who was your inspirational like rider and horse who was it that you looked up to mine was John Whittaker and and Milton I had Milton all over my bedroom wall I guess maybe first of all it was Ginny Elliott because because you know I was a I was a kid in the 80s so Ginny was kind of the hero female rider at that time um you know incredible championship success and and a lot of result good results at, at badminton and burley and so on so it would have been jenny um and i had a book that was all about how she ran her yard and her mother um heather holgate who's so legendary and dot willis her trainer um so she would have been a real hero rider for me i do remember when i first started at horse and hound it was in the era when mark todd had already retired so we were sort of in that hiatus where he was back in new zealand and i remember he came quite soon after I'd started a horse and hound over to badminton to visit and I got to speak to him and do a little feature with him and it was like definitely the most starstruck I've ever been because he wasn't a rider that I'd really even seen around at events because he had gone back to New Zealand by the time I sort of started going to affiliated events mm. as a rider or a writer um so definitely Toddy like absolute all-time legend um yeah yeah definitely is is there anyone that you do still get starstruck by or because you've seen them so often and spoken to them so often they're almost like old friends now I guess I'm lucky now that the sort of the riders who are the the hero riders from my childhood most of them I have spoken to quite a number of times sort of Jenny Elliott, Lucinda Green, Mark Todd, even Mary King and all of those riders I've spoken to quite a few times and have good relationships with so mm. so I'm lucky and um, the younger riders a lot of them I feel I've grown up with and that's I hesitate to say they're friends because we have to be professional some yeah. of them I do consider my friends and that's nice and um, but I guess it's very special for me when you have riders who you feel like you've grown up with and then they do something special like if you look at Laura Collett Laura won her first three day the first three day I ever reported at Western Park and um, you know she was sort of 14 and I was 22 23 and um, Gemma Tattersall not a dissimilar situation Gemma's a little older than Laura a little closer to my age but certainly I was reporting on all her young rider medals um, and when you see those riders come through the system and Poe for example you know Laura winning her first five-star at Poe Gemma winning Victon this year Laura winning that gold at the Olympics you know Laura, Tom and Oliver are all riders I've grown up with. They're all within 10 years age of me. Um, I, you know, I, I remember interviewing Oliver very long time ago when I was actually working at Eventing Magazine, which used to be Horse and Hound Sister Magazine for a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's really, that's, this is not the question you asked at all, Carly, but those <laughs> riders who I slightly feel I've grown up with, it's, it's very special when you see them sort of come to the absolute height of their careers, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, is there anything else you want to mention on Highlight that we may not have covered, but you want to make sure that everyone is aware of? Or are you quite happy that we've covered absolutely everything? 
I think we've covered a lot. I think, uh, you know, our big things at Horse and Hand are, uh, you know, we have so much happening and so much great content coming out, both on the magazine and the website and the podcast. The podcast obviously is free, um, although you can get it a day early on Thursdays on the website. But if you're looking at the website a lot, you'll need to be a digital subscriber. (laughs) Um, But yeah, as you say, it drops into your podcast app on Fridays. The other, you know, platforms we have are excellent value for money for the amount of of, of content there is to read in them. Um, we were actually talking earlier this week about whether sometimes there's so much content that people feel guilty and then they don't want to buy it because they feel like they can't read it all. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, we, we produce a lot, we do a lot. Um, and um, yeah, it's, um, you know, we, we, we always want to have, have people supporting that. And, you know, our subscriptions are great value across all the platforms. So do please come and join us. Of course, and I'm sure more and more people will. To be honest, I bet there's lots of people that listen to this podcast that already are members or subscribers, <laughs> but I will aim to get you some more. Don't you worry. Um, I always finish my podcast with some quick fire questions and I'll ask everyone these. So generally, are you a night in or you're a night out person? Oh, I'm a little bit of a night out person. Should I elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Are you a cocktail or a wine or are you like a gin connoisseur uh i'm a vodka drinker is the honest answer to your question if i went out for a meal i'd have a glass of wine but if it was more like a night in a bar vodka or cocktails oh very good choice my type of gal i like cocktails and vodka too (laughs) um tea or coffee neither no hot drinks oh really Oh, my yeah. God. So are you like very healthy and very like water and things? It's not really necessarily about being healthy. I just don't really like hot drinks. Like if you ever offer me like a cup of tea and I accept it, either <laughs> I'm so cold that I'm basically dead or I like I once went and did an interview in Ireland with some lovely people who were breeding sport horses and they talked so much. And I was literally there for the day. I flew in. I got a hire car. I went to the yard and I flew out again on the same day. And they talked so much. I was so desperate to start the interview. I just said yes to a cup of tea because I couldn't deal with explaining that I didn't drink tea. <laughs> um, wellies or heels? Both, depending on the occasion. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you a sweet or a savoury person? Yeah, see, Carly, this is like when the dentist says, do you snack or eat main meals? And you say both. And then they say savoury or sweet. And you say both. both All yeah. of the above. I'm 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 greedy. I do love to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Book or film? Book. Much more of a reader than a watcher. What um, is there any books that you are reading or could recommend at the minute? I am currently uh, embroiled in one of the Philippa Gregory history series. Um, so I think I'm on the, the third book of one of her mini series about the Tudor, the Tudor, Tudor Queens, um, which oh. uh, I've read, read quite a few of them before. But uh, this one's a new one on me. Um, I'm also halfway through reading the Game of Thrones books. I haven't watched the um, television series, but I think I'm at the end of book three or five. But I felt like I needed a little break, but I will go back to it and finish. That. Yeah, I think probably you and I are probably the only people in the whole country that have not watched Game of Thrones. Every time I say that people are so godsmacked that I've actually not seen an episode of it but at least I've got someone else who's with me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know like I said I'm not I'm not a big watcher of um of anything if I sometimes when my husband goes away I I have to ask him before he leaves to remind me how to turn the television on Um, and I probably won't and I probably won't turn it on anyway when he's away I'd be more likely to read a book if I'm at home on my own of an evening yeah definitely and how is your um horse is it Alfie isn't it 
Yes, um, How is he? he is well. Yeah, he's well. We're talking on a Friday and um, we are going out to unaffiliated dressage tomorrow. My mum will be doing one test and I'll be doing one test. And then he's going to unaffiliated show jumping on Sunday. So he's got a busy weekend. <laughs> Excellent. And are you all prepared? Have you got the test in mind? Are you all ready? I do have the test in mind. Um, I think, uh, hope so. Hopefully we'll be ready. Luckily, we don't have two early times. And uh, maybe I should give a, a, a sneaky shout out to uh, to Parwood, which is where we're going. He've kindly moved our times because something obviously went wrong when we asked if our times could be close together. And they were about four hours apart and I uh-huh. rang up and begged and they moved us close together. So thank you to Parwood. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Um, so where can people find your social media, horse and hound social media, where can people, if they need to get, if they would like to get in touch with you or anywhere, tell us where we can find you. So Instagram is probably the best one for me. I am at Pippa Room or Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Kyle is my married name, um, which I used for some areas of my life. Um, my Instagram is both personal and work. Um, I'm at Pippa Room on Twitter. I'm a little bit sporadic on Twitter. I come and go. Sometimes I get involved and sometimes I don't. Um, I sort of use Facebook personally, but I don't really use it as a public work mechanism. Um, Horse and Hand obviously is on all those platforms. Um, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash horse and hound. And we also have individual discipline specific pages on Facebook. So we have a horse and hound eventing page, we have a horse and hound show jumping page, we have a horse and dressage page and a racing page and a hunting page. Those are great places if you want to be in those sort of more specific communities. We also have Instagram, again, horse and hound. We have Twitter. Um, Instagram is a place where we promote the podcast quite a lot. And we have a sort of Insta story each week telling you what's on it. Um, so, yep, all those places. And, of course, for, for Horse and Hound, our, our website, horseandhound.co.uk. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Pippa. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time because I know you're so busy with the magazine and podcast and everything else. So I appreciate you sitting down and taking the time for being on my podcast and telling us more about you and the magazine. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, Carly. It's been nice to chat to you pleasure and if you guys enjoyed this episode if you would like to screenshot and share and tag pippa and i we would really appreciate it and i'll speak to you all on the next episode if you listen to this episode i really hope you enjoyed it as i did making it if you um like to follow me on socials my um instagram is cobs equine services and the same on facebook cobs equine services um if you are listening to this on your um, apple or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast i really appreciate it if you could leave me a review as it gets um other people to highlight the um episodes to other people and i will speak to you all on the next episode this episode i really hope you enjoyed it as i did making it if you um like to follow me on socials my um instagram is cobs equine services and the same on facebook cobs equine services um if you are listening to this on your um, apple or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast i really appreciate it if you could leave me a review as it gets um other people to highlight the um episodes to other people And I will speak to you all on the next episode.